Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. Andy Barron's here for our last preseason live stream of the season. Um, these have been fun. Joined by a very special guest this week. Um, this might be our most high-powered guest of all, actually. We've had we've had pretty good luck on the guest front, um, but we've really hit the the lottery this week. It's Cynthia, it's excuse me, Cynthia Freeland, analytics expert from NFL Media. Uh, I've been excited about this for the last week or so. You've hopefully read her work at NFL.com. You may have just seen her on the Bills sideline this preseason. She's great. You can follow her on Twitter at C F R E L-U-N-D. Hello, Cynthia. Thank you for joining us. Hello. Great to see you. Thank you for being here. And you'll be surprised like how many times symphony happens. It's like, <laughs> I, I think symphony, there. I don't know, but you'd be surprised. It's like a very, com- it's super common. Like maybe I should just change it. I can embrace it. Yeah, you, know? you should. You should lean into it. It's a it's a viable nickname, I think, for you. We are going to go like Perfect. question heavy this week. And I know we've had some structure to these shows in the past, but there's going to be a lot less structure this time. We're just going to try to take as many questions from you guys as we possibly can. Um, so drop your questions into the chat on YouTube, on Twitter, on Facebook, Twitch, wherever you happen to be watching this thing. We got a little pre-show propaganda that I have to hit you with um, that you've that you've probably heard before. But listen, get yourself signed up for one or several Yahoo Fantasy Leagues at yahoo.com slash fantasy football. One probably isn't enough. Um, and if you're, a, if you're a hardcore fantasy player, also please sign yourself up for Yahoo Fantasy Plus. Um, take it for a test drive with a free trial. It's got a lot of fun features. You have access to a lot of game data that is not available publicly. A uh, lot of great research tools there as well. It has been super helpful for me in fantasy baseball. I think that you will find it beneficial in fantasy football as well. Cynthia, man, where, where to begin? Um, so you are, again, analytics expert at NFL Network. You've run uh, a million sim- simulations of the season, I believe, to this point. You've done all the math. Do you just have one or two huge takeaways from from the offseason work that you think fantasy managers should be aware of? I know this is going to sound ridiculous, but I think we need to start taking into consideration maybe what you call like a slot corner or a nickel corner huh. a little bit more seriously because teams that have good ones, they're starting to really pay them and value them and use them. And they're actually having a really dramatic impact on wide receiver output as well as tight end output. So it's one of those like kind of second level things that like you'd find behind your paywall at Yahoo Fantasy. (laughs) But ultimately, you know, you got to kind of think about those things as they come into play 
going forward in the season, especially on teams that really like go look to see where they, they paid the guy a lot of money because that nickel corner is now like, it's a big deal. It's not just like a throwaway corner. Like in the past, it's like, oh, he's just the nickel. No, 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 no. Go look at what the Packers are doing. They're going to have a problem. Not that the NFC North is full of a ton of like passing situations that we have to monitor, but <laughs> maybe for Justin Jefferson, that could be that could be an, 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 an interesting one. Not for the Lions, though. I'm from Michigan. I can say that. <laughs> no, it's interesting because for years now, um, it feels like the, the slot receivers on every team, like it's a huge piece of fantasy news. Who's going to be the slot guy? Who's going to see the most slot snaps? Um, because that's just free money in in PPR leagues because nobody, no team has been great at really containing it. So that is an interesting thing to look at um, because teams more and more, you're right there. It's like a, it's like a niche specialty um, corner role now. Yeah. And like the Colts have a good one. I mean, I'll, I could give you like a full list if you want to, but you know, just, just take a look as the season evolves, give it a couple of weeks, but that's where you could really snag like your great wide receiver three or stay away from certain situations where it's like a really bad matchup obviously your number one guys even like Devonta Adams who lines up in the slot a ton like I'm not worried about them but I'm talking about like the guy who maybe like people are are all over like I don't know like I, I feel like there's there's a ton of people who they're all over like Curtis Samuel people yeah. are talking about and I think that could be like a matchup play where it's either going to be good or it's going to be very bad one of those things <laughs> you mentioned that you mentioned the lions um and maybe you don't want to go too far down the the lions road but i i believe you are um a native of michigan and, and grew up a lions fan do i have that correct you are completely right i'm from east lansing michigan and yeah it's been a, a horrible thing to be saddled with i blame my parents <laughs> i do like honolulu blue everyone looks good in honolulu blue but there's no good players so you know whatever Okay, there's a few yeah, things. no, it's funny. Like when I got started in fantasy, like the the earliest leagues that I was playing, they were like a fantasy juggernaut. It was Scott Mitchell, it was Herman Moore, it was Barry Sanders. I'm very old, but um, man, they were fun back Yay. in the day. Herman Moore was great. Like Megatron was fun. Yeah, too. yeah, absolutely. Well, let's um, let's dive right into questions as I threatened, um, and I want to start with one that um, man, this is a player who's been who's been buzzing obviously over the past few days. This question is from Taco FFL on Twitter. Uh, oh man. Okay, so I picked up Gus Edwards in the sixth round. Should I trade him while his value is high before they sign a veteran? Or should I hang on to him if you think he'll be a viable RB2 this season? Yeah, so Gus Edwards obviously gets a spike in perceived fantasy value because of the terrible injury to J.K. Dobbins. Um, you, like, you just hate to see that one, obviously. Um, and I, I, I almost, like, sometimes I, I just hate having to give fantasy spin on, you know, potentially season-wrecking and, and career-altering injuries. Really rough to see that with Dobbins. There's obviously a jump in value for Gus Edwards. But how do you how do you see that backfield going forward? Um, as Taco suggests, there's a pretty strong possibility that they bring in some sort of veteran. Yeah, there's a lot of veterans out there, too. So, sure, they'll probably bring him in. I think I would... If you only got him in the sixth round, then conceivably your team's pretty good if this is your sixth round pick. I don't know. It, it would uh, Trades to me are really hard to like without like who the other person in the trade is. Hard to kind of like one side of the trade is, is hard to evaluate. Unless you're getting someone that you think, and maybe this guy's roster, are you missing wide receivers? Are you missing, like where are you deficient so that are you making your team better? But ultimately, I, I think it is worth a trade consideration, depending on again the situation and the circumstance. But I, I don't know. I would, I would say if you got him in the sixth round, probably have a good team, probably worth keeping because this is such a run heavy offense. And I know they keep saying, oh, they're not going to be so run heavy. Okay, they were the most run heavy last year. Maybe they're like 
uh, third most this season, <laughs> which is still a lot, right? So the volume will conceivably be there. But again, it's it's hard without knowing the other sides of the trades. Um, maybe he's floated out there, but I would I would actually roll with him. I think especially the first few games of the season. Remember, first four games of the season, you're going to see a lot of tendencies from last year because teams, that's like what we see. They don't really change much year to year, especially when you have a lot of continuity. Mark Andrews is back, so maybe some like, some of the volume will go back to Mark Andrews, but it's not going to be a totally different season and a totally different team, especially not right out of the gate. That's my take. Yeah, one of the things I really like about this question is it gets at an element of fantasy strategy, which is just to, you know, if you happen to have your hands on the guy who is the, the sort of buzzy player of the moment, often, not always, often um, the, the sell-high moment on that player is before, like, a game has even been played. We see this in, in almost every fantasy sport, but... I also feel like that is more true of rookies, prospects, guys where we really perceive a, a huge range of possible outcomes. Um, and I don't, I don't think the range of outcomes short of injury is is all that uh, all that unknown with Gus Edwards. Like he's a he's a good player. He's not J.K. Dobbins. He's not like you know six yards a carry J.K. Dobbins. But he's you know he doesn't he doesn't have a season yet in which he's. And this, you know, yards per carry is is a kind of fraught stat, but um, he doesn't have a season yet with less than five yards per carry. He has been great. The Ravens obviously love him. I will say that I don't think there's any chance that he's a full workload running back, maybe in week one, maybe, maybe very early in the season. But the Ravens haven't. They haven't run that way in a in a pretty long time, and they weren't doing it last year with Dobbins, and nobody should have been expecting it this year necessarily. Like, it was always going to be a, a two-man show. We don't totally know if that second man is going to be Justice Hill, if it's going to be Tyson Williams, or, uh, again, as, as Taco said, if it's going to be a veteran. There's plenty of them out there, um, and then there's going to be camp cuts as well, right? Like, um, there's going to be plenty of guys who hit the market, and maybe the Ravens are in on one of those. So I can, I can see a situation where Gus actually gets um, 20 to 25 touches in week one. And then, and then maybe you want to move on from him because I don't, I don't think he's he's guaranteed that sort of workload going forward. But I think it might happen in the early weeks. Let's find another question here. This one, oh, this is a this is a good sort of general question uh, that that we can take a lot of different directions. So, who are a handful of guys you are actively trying to get as many shares of as possible this year? This is from Ransom Ryan. Uh, love this one. I would say I I think you got to go with the guys who are pretty much in like, you know, volume situations that you can navigate. Like I'm I think Calvin Ridley's undervalued. I think, you know, in the, sometimes the preseason, you don't see a lot of passing. Well, obviously, why would we show you our pass <laughs> concepts? So I think people are undervaluing the Falcons passing offense just in general, or maybe they're thinking Kyle Pitts is going to get like a billion yards. Like to me, Kyle <laughs> Pitts is probably somewhere between 850 and 900 yards, right? Like it don't, don't go nuts right like so the context is key so I'm I'm looking at a lot of shares of Calvin Ridley I'm looking of course Devontae Adams is one that I'm I'm very actively looking for and I've been stealing Terry McLaurin in uh, kind of like I got Terry McLaurin in the fourth round of one of I have no idea how it happened <laughs> but I was like well there's I'm, I will take that every day and twice on Sunday so I think people are like kind of where where people are like sort of underestimating maybe their quarterback situation or the passing offense in a, as a whole, or maybe they're overvaluing what they saw in preseason. Remember, you run in preseason a lot. If you if you already know what your offense is doing, you have a time honored, time tested quarterback. You don't sit there and be like, "Hey, 
let's go see if we can have like, you know, a really good pass rusher, like make a team because they crushed our starting quarterback. Like that's just, that doesn't happen very often. So don't overestimate so much run game in this preseason. So I think those are guys who I'm, I'm kind of looking a lot at. I just, I find them to be a bit undervalued and I like a good undervalued asset. And I think people um, also, the last one that I have here, anyone in Carolina's passing offense, mm. because I think Christian McCaffrey being valued so high, like you can steal Robbie Anderson, you can steal DJ Moore. These are still great guys, right? And Carolina is one of just two teams who had three t- wide receivers that ended up in the top 25 last season. So w- what's going to change when you have a better situation and with Christian McCaffrey being back? So I think those are kind of, those are some assets that I thought have been undervalued and I, I'll take as many shares of those as possible. Oh man. What about you? Yeah. You, you hit on some names there that I, that I actually want to spend a little bit of time with. Um, and, and first of all, this, this sort of underscores something that we talked about last week on, on the podcast, Carolina, Man, Carolina opens with, and and this is also one of those things that we're wrong about all the time. We're wrong about strength of schedule all the time. But man, Carolina opens with what looks like the friendliest first six or eight weeks of any team in the league. Like this could be really good. This is probably the most wide open stretch of, I don't know, of Sam Darnold's career. And as you mentioned, they supported three viable fantasy receivers last season with Teddy Bridgewater. So do I think Sam Darnold can be Teddy Bridgewater yet? Like I kind of do. I, I I like almost everything about the the Carolina offense. I will also say about Terry McLaurin that he is like the player where the the analytics crowd and the and the pure tape watching crowd just agree. Right? There's no disagreement on Terry McLaurin. I don't. I almost don't understand why we don't universally have him as a wide receiver one. Why he's not universally like the the number ten overall receiver or the number nine overall receiver? Because you can't you can't find any school of thought that is down on Terry McLaurin. Plus, he's now you know wh- whatever you think of Ryan Fitzpatrick, he's almost inarguably the best quarterback that Terry McLaurin has ever worked with. So that that can't be a bad thing. Um, but then the the thing I actually want to spend time on here is. Calvin Ridley. I, I think he's one of the most interesting names because I don't think, and I, I'm, I like that we're talking to somebody who's actually like simulated the season a bunch of times and probably has some, some real data to talk about with Calvin. I, in my view, he's not, you know, he's not like a Julio Jones level talent. And I like, I'm uncomfortable when I feel like people are talking about him that way. I don't, I don't think he's like that sort of freakish, you know, upper one-tenth of one percent of all athletes in the history of the NFL sort of Julio Jones guy. And yet another part of me thinks he's going to see 200 targets and there's no way to screw up 200 targets. Like like in a terrible season, you'll catch 110. Uh, and and I, I just find that really, you know, he's too tempting for me and I can't get him outside my top. As, mu- as much as I think maybe guys rank below him, have a have a better talent profile. I, I which is I don't mean to insult Calvin Ridley here, but I, I can't get him outside my top five or top six because I just I can't imagine a scenario in which the volume isn't there. So I like Calvin Ridley's route running ability. It's kind of like a Alabama trait. Hmm. These guys from that come out of Alabama, they're consistent route runners. That's it. Must be something that they both select for and who they recruit there, and also what they teach there. So they're very like they end up in the same spot. This is me doing. This is a route. That's a route. <laughs> Um, that's a route trade. Uh, they end up in the same spot very reliably at the same time. So with the volume and the reliability, that to me drives fantasy value. Now, I don't think the Falcons are going to win a ton of games. I also don't think their defense is awesome, which means, and I love Dean Pease. Let me be clear. I'm, I'm a, like, I bang the, the drum for Dean Pease as a defensive coordinator more than like anyone because his wife was my volleyball coach growing up. So I'm <laughs> like, always going to love him. But the secondary is 
not good. So that means more opportunities to pass. And they have that relationship. Matt Ryan is very consistent and there's a very consistent potential for them to connect. So it's a volume and a where is the asset valued relative to the market situation for me. It's not that I don't think he's in that upper echelon of he's not. Julio Jones is a freak in every sense of the way. Like standing next to him, you're like, are we the same species? <laughs> like I, I could never, like I just, you know, like it's incredible. So I do not think he's Julio Jones. I don't think that anyone who's talking about it like that, I think is, should temper their expectations. But I think what's happened is people have gone from saying like, you know, Calvin is the next Julio Jones to like, oh, Calvin really sucks. Like, so it's about valuing him appropriately, which if you can get him late, that's why I would like a lot of shares of him because then it's like, well, I've already gotten my, you know, number one running back or whatever, for example. So it's about market for me. So I think Calvin Ridley's volume plus reliability and route running, like that doesn't sound very sexy, but yeah. like, he's kind of like Starbucks, right? Like, <laughs> you know, he's super reliable. You always know what you're going to get. And there's a ton of volume. So that's where I really like Calvin Ridley. And then the, the other player that you mentioned there was, um, and, and I realized he wasn't one of your guys to target necessarily, but Kyle Pitts. And every time Kyle Pitts' name comes up, I get hung up on it a little bit because I feel like he's one of these guys. And I, I think you threw out numbers like 850 yards, something like that. I can, I can tell you that fantasy managers are going to be disappointed if Kyle Pitts only gives us 850 yards. And if he does that, it will also have been one of the greatest rookie tight end seasons in history. So he's just in this—he's just in this really tricky situation. I mean, it's happened like it's happened like once in the two thousands. I, I want to say that a, a, a rookie tight end has, has delivered even eight hundred receiving yards. It's—it doesn't seem like a lot, but it's such a—you um, know—the learning curve at the position is so difficult. So I don't, maybe some of this is just pure conjecture, and it's not something that like an analytics background gets us at. But I the the best case scenario to me for Kyle Pitts is that they they don't even tell him to try to be a tight end, and he's just a slot receiver. He's just an outside receiver, and we don't have to worry about that stuff. And the and the volume really is there. But I I just want to you know as as you've maybe simulated the season or projected things out where like let's put a finer point on Kyle Pitts. So my Kyle Pitts notions between so. Let me just be clear. My philosophy on analytics is that it's like part of the story and it it, it drives like, you know, we talk about like um, paid and underpaid people. Well, I think the analytics helps to find what is paid, right? So in terms of fantasy, it's like, you know, overdraft, underdraft, well, where should you expect? Let's let's actually put some magnitude to something and then kind of use some our best clues about that. Some of our best clues are his body type, his what he's done, his resume from college. Another one is where did he go working with Arthur Smith? Now we know Arthur Smith. He runs that 12 personnel with the two tight ends up, you know, quite a bit. So he's presumably going to be getting the, you know, slot and inline targets when the passing situation occurs. But realistically speaking, it's the red zone use that's driving kind of the fantasy, you know, craziness that I think is really interesting about Kyle Pitts. I don't think it's going to be some crazy yardage like it's not going to be like 1100 no it's going to be like i said 850 to 900 but i do think that his and i'm saying this in a from a place of love his use as more of a possession receiver in tight coverage that's where he was really good in college he was the reliable like there are eight guys surrounding him you just like throw it up have him come down he's a big body he's really good with body control so keeping the ball tucked in and, and coming down with it 
not a lot of rookies are super good at that. And they didn't show it in college because in college, they don't play as much tight coverage. They play more zone. They get more space. You'll often see these guys catch a bunch of passes in the end zone, but nobody was really guarding them. It's more of a, a trick of tricking the different, the different uh, coverages, right? So what Kyle Pitts has done is he, he has come down with it as more of a possession receiver in the red area. So I think you'll get the touchdown upside from him, but the yardage upside won't be there. So temper expectations so that you get into a good, you know, don't put him up there with, he's not Travis Kelsey yet, right? Like relax, sit down, you're going to be fine. (laughs) But, but just don't, so just, it's about estimating him correctly. Yeah, it it is funny at the at the college level, and and this may be a little bit less true once we get to defenses like Alabama's and some prime LSU seasons and stuff like that. But there's almost no team ever that can cover a hyper athletic tight end. It just it just doesn't happen in college, and it certainly didn't happen with Kyle Pitts. And he's got this almost infinite catch radius, right? Like I think he's going to be great long term. But as you say, if he if he finishes with 1,100 yards this year, that is the greatest single season in NFL history by a tight end, and it's it's not even close, right? It will just be Kyle Pitts and Mike Ditka, and that's I don't know. That's it's hard to set that as your expectation. I actually, before we take another question, I want to ask you about a couple of other tight ends that you and you you wrote a, a couple of great features on one play. It was I believe it was one player from each team that is most likely to improve in the season ahead, and you broke it into AFC and NFC. And I want to ask you about a couple names there that were that were both tight ends. And as a Bears fan myself, I want to I want to start with Cole Komet because um, I you know he's one of those guys that falls out. First of all, the Bears used him a ton in the in the second half last year, and the 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 second half usage I thought was really encouraging for him. They did still target the heck out of Jimmy Graham when they got in goal to go situations, and I feel like that may continue. But Komet, pretty exciting player. I won't say that they did a ton of interesting things with him in terms of downfield usage or, or the routes necessarily that he was running, but really like him. Um, you mentioned him. So, so talk about expectations for him in his second season. Well, first of all, you can't talk about expectations for him if you don't address the quarterback hmm. conundrum, because somebody has got to throw him the ball if you're going to use him in fantasy. So what happened last season, if you look at the compression of the offense in that last season, they weren't running many downfield routes. You know this as a Bears fan. You watched it, right? They weren't spreading the field horizontally, and they weren't spreading the field vertically. So these, all of the receivers, or all of the pass catchers, I should say, were in a lot worse situation, lower probability, even though you know, we talk about short passes being high probability. Well, they're only high probability if you don't have like five defenders on your back, right? So they weren't necessarily <laughs> true. They weren't necessarily in high probability situations. What both Andy Dalton and Justin Fields give the Bears is the opportunity to spread the field more vertically so you can create better situations for the routes that we saw Cole Komet run. I watched both of them, you know, in this preseason, I watched Jimmy Graham. I, was, I saw the Bears firsthand. Bears O-line, yikes, a little, little troubling at this point, but I think they'll get it under control before, <laughs> before the season starts. I think Jason Peters came. I think maybe he's going to benefit from a couple weeks, uh, you know, getting back on that uh, – on that NFL diet, I think that'll be very helpful because he's one of the best to do it. So <laughs> I think that'll, that will help things out a lot. But when it comes to, it's, it's really, where did he run? What have we seen Matt Nagy like to do? And both of those passers are going to need to use the areas that he ran the routes in last season, especially in the second half and the targets there. And I don't think they showed us very much. Now, the rumors are that Justin Fields hasn't been taking any snaps with the ones. 
maybe this could help Cole because they has a bit more of a rapport with him because he's gone one and two reps. So when it is inevitably Justin Fields later, I think he'll be more of a target situation. So I think we start with Andy Dalton and then it evolves to Justin Fields after a game or two. Maybe don't start with the Rams. Aaron Donald, maybe not your welcome to the NFL moment. But I think eventually you'll see an uptick in targets and use for, for Cole Komet, for sure. Man, a, a lot of truth there. They they ran so many, um, you know, they'd run fun things to Darnell Mooney downfield, but the line couldn't block it. And, and you know, Nick Foles under pressure or, you know, Trubisky under pressure was just never going to get the ball there. So, like, I... I felt like, and I know I've talked about this before on the pod, but man, I, I don't know how many unrealized air yards there were for for Darnell Mooney last year, who was just cooking people downfield all season with absolutely no results, like very, very infrequent results. Yeah. Um, if the line can block any of it, it's going to be a fun offense. I'm not sure that's true. The other tight end that I wanted to mention was uh, was Dallas Goddard, um, because he got, there was a little bit of conversation on yesterday's Yahoo podcast between Scott Pianowski and, uh, and Pat Darty about Goddard. A lot of us were were on him early in the summer when we all assumed that Zach Ertz was going to be traded. And, you know, for months went by and we kept saying, oh, there's going to be an Ertz trade. And once Ertz is in Buffalo or wherever Ertz lands, um, then then it's just going to be Dallas Goddard season and look out, it's going to be 140 targets. And now that that now that that hasn't happened and it seems less likely to happen every day, um, how are you feeling about Goddard? And, and what is it that, that led to you putting him on, on your list of, uh, of improved players in the first place? Well, when it comes to fantasy, obviously, there will be some question marks in the name of Zach Ertz as to whether or not he's going to be useful. But that's, that's interesting. I think Goddard, it's all about the, the combination of being on the field, meaning he did prove himself as a blocker. They're going to need that. He did prove himself as a, as a short yard. And he could and line up actually from the wide alignment also be useful there. This offense is messy uh apparently howie rosen's going around telling people <laughs> that you know Devonte smith is who it's all built around and it's going to be very helpful for him but then you go and you bring in gardner Minshew at the last minute okay like it's just it's very confusing so uh, some things have changed since i have written that since i wrote that wow i'm very bad at grammar i blame that i'm in montana but anyways um <laughs> anyways long story short i think that at the end of the day i think that the usefulness in terms of being a blocker and catching passes is what drives that. And I think that, you know, again, whatever is going on in the tight end situation, do let it play out a little bit. You are taking a risk if you're taking him this early. But I think his use as a blocker will keep him on the field. And that will also be part of disguises because I think there's going to be a lot of gadget plays in this offense. I think there's going to be a lot of things that are tricks because they have a lot of question marks and a lot of uncertainty. I like Jalen Hurts more than most, but is there's got to be a lot. That, when you have uncertainty, you see weird stuff. It's just the truth. We saw it, you know, met time and time again. And this uncertainty makes me think we're going to see some weird stuff. And Goddard is very reliable um, from a lot of different alignments. Yeah. And actually, in answer to a question that we took, I don't know, uh, 10 minutes ago, 15 minutes ago, probably the player that I have reached for most uh, this draft season. In fact, I would say that he is inarguably the player I have reached for most because I I, I have him on all but I've drafted a million leagues so far. I oh, feel like course. I've been trapped in draft rooms for the last two months. And I have Devonte Smith almost everywhere. Yep. I got a got a little bit of a scare when he had the knee issue, but he's but he's returned so to the yeah. field. And that is really good to see. He's yeah, he's just one of those guys that uh, when we when we take into account how disappointing Jalen Rager was last year, he's such a technician. And I know that he stuck around at Alabama forever, but uh, he, he did so with almost flawless results in his final season. 
I just think he's going to be great. And as we talk about guys who have a realistic path to 140, 150 targets, I I don't see why they won't give Devonte Smith all of the work that he can possibly handle. So he's probably he's probably the single player that I. Oh, I was just going to say another Alabama route running perfect route runner. You know, like his route running is super yes. consistent too. That means, listen, if you aren't reliable, that's reliable. If you know where your receiver is going to be, that's like almost as good as you can get like you could sacrifice some bits of speed for reliability like Rager was kind of speed but not reliable Devontae Smith's the opposite and I'm not saying Smith is slow like don't get that wrong I'm just saying you know like if you're talking about like fractions of seconds but you're really reliable when it comes to being in where you're supposed to be then yes for sure totally with you yeah, probably realistically the most important trait that a that an NFL receiver can have, that a receiver at any level can have, and that's certainly a receiver tied to Jalen Hurts, who is going to sail some throws anyway and is not perhaps the most accurate passer in, in the league among starters. Um, he's going to need somebody who can be absolutely, you know, it's bankable that he's going to be in the exact spot that you expect him. Uh, let's dive into another question here. This, oh man, this one is interesting because it it relates to draft slots. This year, I don't see the usual value in drafting third. Do you agree? And I'll I'll preface this by saying that historically, you know, people know that I, I appear in all these stinking draft slot videos that pop up seconds before you're getting ready to actually have your draft, and I tell you a little bit about the history of the draft slot or the recent history of the I draft like slot. Those. Yeah, those are fun. They're they're like, but they also point out that drafts are sort of fundamentally unfair, right? And historically, you definitely want to have a top six pick, and it is a bit more of a dice roll. Like we find more first round busts and second round busts at the end of round one. That makes a lot of sense, and and early in round two, those those guys are generally not as bankable as the guys that you find at the top of the draft. And the other piece is, the guy that you can take at twelve is very comparable to the player who's going to fall to like 25. And I mean, just think about it with Christian McCaffrey this year. There's nobody else like Christian McCaffrey. Like the guys, the guys that are available at the very top of your draft are unique and they are like tier of one sort of players. It doesn't mean they can't get hurt and the, and the draft slot can't bust. But generally speaking, you want to get one of those top five, top six draft slots. Now, third is an interesting spot this year because it's the first one that seems to really require a choice. I think everybody has Christian McCaffrey at the top of draft boards and almost everybody has Dalvin Cook number two. I guess we could have some arguments about, you know, depending on your format, where Dalvin Cook should go. But number three is really like the first choice. And some people just don't like having the first real choice to make in a draft. This to me is pretty wide open. I can make a case for Kamara. I can make a case for Zeke. I can make a case for Derrick Henry. I can probably make the best case for Derrick Henry. Um, I don't know. How do you feel about the third pick? Who do you think should go there? Well, look, I I would probably say, and this like runs counter to a lot of people in terms of analytics or whatever, but I think Derek Henry was, he's not, he's my number three um, in part because I actually think the addition of Julio Jones with AJ Brown creates fewer stacked boxes for this guy. And you know what happens when Derek Henry runs with a full head of steam? Like you have bad things to your defense basically. <laughs> so I think that it's, it's about situational football at this point. Dalvin Cook even makes me like, other than outside of Christian McCaffrey, I feel like you probably go Dalvin second and I don't know Kamara scares me I think he's going to get a lot of use but this offense is scary I love Sean Payton I think he's a he's a really beautiful like mastermind of a coach right but when it comes to 
what's going to happen, I think defenses will have a little bit more figured out. I mean, think about think about the defenses they go against. They're very familiar with Alvin Kamara's. I don't know. This scares me. I think he's still going to be good, but just not going to be like what we usually expect from him, at least in the beginning of the season without Michael Thomas. And then I don't know, like, like I could even say, like, I, I think you're right. Third is it's a, it's kind of a conundrum because you're not taking Saquon. I think maybe Zeke, although I don't know, I'm a little bit more bearish on, I'm a little bearish on the Cowboys because I think if you don't have Dak, if Dak's not going to be good, I think you're going to see the thing where like maybe for like three weeks or four weeks, you get good offense. And then I don't know, I've never seen like a knee injury that lingers this long that turns out to be like more fantasy points later. You could have like a good, strong September, but it could fall off after that, you know, and this is a good, they're very good O-line, but like I might even like, and this is going to sound crazy probably, but I might even look at like a Nick Chubb in that situation because I'm going to overvalue the O-line and then try on the next round to get like hmm. someone to compliment that because I, I think O-lines, they're just so yards after contact. If you get a, here, here's my like my way of thinking about yards after contact. If you're starting contact behind the line of scrimmage, that stinks. It's just a horrible situation. So you could have a really sick yards after contact number, but if that contact's coming three yards behind the line of scrimmage, like just going to be bad news, bad news bears yeah. all around. Right. But if you're like, if your yards after contact are, you already earned two yards on that play, then you're, you're running faster. It's just velocity, like a train, right? You're running faster and you're going to get to move further. So at the end of the day, for me, I'm going to go with something that I, that I feel more certain of and I do love the Cowboys O-line but I don't know it scares me a little bit with that that offense scared I don't know and the and the Cowboys defense is so young I don't know if they're gonna be in a situation where they're gonna be able to run like they did that ball control year where Zeke just crushed on every first down let me ask you something just as a you know as an analytics expert basically fantasy writers tend to throw out you know um more sort of modern stats like like missed tackles and missed tackle rates and yards after contact we use this a lot yeah. because it's a great discussion points right it's um you, you know you, we got we all got to write articles we all got to have blurbs we all got we got to record these fearless forecasts and we got to have something to say one thing i've been less certain about over time is is exactly how sticky these stats are from season to season like is you know, I, I think about Josh Jacobs. Um, Josh Jacobs was just an absolute mistackled machine as a rookie. He was as good as it got. And I, I thought the the tape from his rookie season sort of matched it. And it really wasn't anything special in, in terms of, of elusiveness last year. Is are, are yards after contact and missed tackles, things like that, are they are they durable from year to year? Do they do, do we continue to see the same players at the tops of those lists? Well, let me be honest. It really does matter who's blocking ahead of you for those yards after contact. Yeah. Yards after the catch for a receiver is a bit different because if you look at yards after the catch, typically guys who are earning lots of yards after the catch, they're either creating more separation for themselves ahead of the pass or they're very like good at slipping past corners. So it's a little bit, that one's a little bit more durable. If you're just looking for like one, one stat, and, and the problem is it's, it's just, Football is not one stat. There's 22 people on the field all the time. So you, unfortunately, that's not a great one because I've found my problem with yards after contact for running backs is where, like I said before, where does that start? How fast are you getting to go before you earn? And, and who's blocking you, right? If, like, if you're not going up against like someone really playing a three technique, that's not great contact necessarily. Just one example. If you're rushing inside the tackles, you're not, and, and there's, it's not 
uh, and Damakang Su a couple years ago that's trying to crush you, then is that really contact? Is someone just like putting their hand on your back, like flag football <laughs> style? Like, is that contact? Like, where are you counting it and how fast are you going at the time? Because if you're going really fast and you're big like Derrick Henry, your yards after contact are, if they're not good, yeah. something's wrong, right? But if you're not super big, like Alvin <laughs> Kamara gets good yards after contact because he's slippery, but he's also, his O-line's good. And when he runs behind that right tackle, especially like, good luck, because the contact you're getting is, it's crap contact. So the answer is really sometimes, but it really depends on the context of the situation. So you got to look at like, who's your O-line? And I would say if you could figure out yards after contact, but where that contact starts, then you're, that, if you want like yeah. a, a single number, which you're never going to get a single number, that's great, but we all need it for our blurbs. So I got it. I, I have to write them too. Like I'm, I'm with you. So, <laughs> so, but no, it's not always great like that. Cause the guys who are usually getting the good yards after contact also, I mean, Titans O-line is really, really good. Derrick Henry's awesome, but these things go together. Yeah, I really like that you put it that way. I, I, one of those players that always comes to mind when I, when I think about things like this is uh, Joe Mixon has had some seasons where um, he was greeted routinely three yards behind the line of scrimmage. Poor right? Joe Mixon. And, Poor and Joe he, Mixon. <laughs> yeah. Well, he would he would produce some of the most incredible one yard gains and and you know no gains that I think I've ever seen because he, he was met by three players like four yards behind the line of scrimmage and I've I like the line I've used before is that like it seemed like a staple of the Bengals offense was to put Joe Mixon in impossible situations and watch him gain two yards I mean they did that for years and I don't know how that actually like I don't know how that plays out in terms of of you know his yards after contact exactly or how many missed tackles he's credited with in those situations i know it didn't help his yards per carry but he he seemed like a miracle worker for for a handful of years there well yeah because he was doing like like he was trying to go through like a you know the refrigerator size men and with no and not even running ahead of him <laughs> but they kind of did that to joe burrow too last year like it's just not you yes. know, o-line matters you know o, o-line matters i i spent a lot of time measuring those big men's butts and to see if they got unfavorable leverage so i'm telling <laughs> you it's it's a lot of it's a lot of it's a lot of work but yeah we actually this hasn't come up too often but we actually have a little bit of breaking news during the podcast man the the hits keep coming for the colts this is one of the more wild uh man this is one of, one of the more wild preseasons and 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 summers that i can remember from any team carson wentz added to the COVID list. Also, apparently, Zach Pascal and Ryan Kelly added to the COVID. Like, this is after the T.Y. Hilton news. This is after Carson Wentz has recovered, apparently, from a, a pretty significant or at least scary foot injury. We know that the line has been banged. Like, everybody's banged up. Um, Jonathan Taylor is the only one that seems exempt from any of this. I, I, I guess it's more good news for Titans fans who are probably the favorite in the division. I, I don't know how you how you feeling about the Colts right now. Stay away. Like what what are we even doing here? Like this is awful. <laughs> like I mean, I feel so bad for them. I'm going to tell you. If you want someone to like like really like in the future and track coaching wise, I got a chance to meet with Gerard Johnson who does their quarterback like mm. one of their quarterback coaches. This guy's brilliant. Up and comer, he's going to be just a star. But like, how are you, like, who are you playing with, bro? Like, this is going to be, like, it's just hard. You know, you have to have some of the good players at least. So, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just. Uh, you really do. That's actually essential fantasy advice, too. You have to have some yeah, of the good players. Yeah, <laughs> stay is... away from the Colts. Hey, maybe it gives you an upgrade for, yeah. like, 
maybe it gives you an upgrade for like the Titans. Like uh, who, who's going to challenge the Titans? That's uh, yeah, nobody. I don't, I, I, it's really difficult to see the Jaguars as any kind of dark horse there. It is becoming increasingly difficult. I, I, Colts have a good defense, so maybe there's a path. But yeah, the, the Titans just seem to me like a prohibitive favorite in that in that division. Let's get to another question here. Um, this is This is somebody who's, I don't know kind of bragging a little bit because this is a great spot to be um they say they say i've got pick 101 in a start two quarterback ppr league well okay there's a little bit of strategy involved here so what's your pick do you go qb or do you go i mean they're saying qb or rb but this question is really whether you go patrick mahomes or christian mccaffrey in a format like this i go christian mccaffrey they're just there's such a drop off after that (laughs) and then i think you can like you have to to like the two QB league, like just go get like people are undervaluing Matthew Stafford a lot. He's going to have to throw the ball. I get it. They brought in Sonny mm. Michelle. Like I understand, but guys like that, there's not going to be much variance between like him and like, sure, maybe you're forfeiting getting Patrick. Totally understand. But at least I believe I can find more disproportionate value amongst quarterbacks who are similarly ranked than, than I can among. I mean, I, I just, you can't replace what I believe the production from McCaffrey will be. Yeah, I like that answer because I, I again mentioned it earlier in the in the show. I, I view Christian McCaffrey as like a one of one sort of player. I don't I don't think that McCaffrey is in a tier with the Dalvin Cook and Derrick Henry yep. and Zeke Elliott and the rest of those guys. Like I think Christian McCaffrey, if everything goes according to plan and he stays healthy, is challenging like Chris Johnson records, right? Like I think he has a potential 2,300 scrimmage yard season in him, 2,400 scrimmage yards, 20 touchdowns, something like that. I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a reasonable projection for anybody else, but I think that Christian McCaffrey can get there because he's kind of settled in as a running back who's going to catch a yep. hundred plus passes, which is ridiculous. We don't see that, you know, Kamara's always caught 80 balls, but he's never gotten to a hundred balls. And that's just, that's, that's just par for the course with, uh, with Christian McCaffrey. So I don't, I don't see anyone really threatening him unless there's, unless there's unusual settings here that make quarterback even more important or that create greater separation between the top quarterbacks right. and anybody else. Right. I think I would still lean McCaffrey as well. 100%. You, you mentioned Matthew Stafford there, and this was the other name that I really wanted to hit from the, from the, the player, the, from the improving players column, mm-hmm. because for the most part, that feature was young ascending guys, right? And then and then you reach the Rams, and it's thirty three year old Matthew Stafford. Um, so talk to us about him a little bit and the projection for him, because I can tell you that in you know some of these industry drafts that I've had recently, mm-hmm. he's pretty disrespected. Yeah, there's not sure. a lot of there's a, a weird and We're going I for feel a like here. you should you know especially this situation. Oh, hey, great! Um, this really great. To, I don't want to I don't want to um, I don't want to lose uh, my battery here. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Stafford is one of these guys who um, he's going significantly later than but listen, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady are, are maybe they're the two greatest quarterbacks in NFL history. They're certainly in the discussion. And so I get Matthew Stafford going after them. But he is 33 and he's got Cooper Cup and he's got Bob Woods and it's a pretty great situation. He's got Sean McVay. I like I don't really see a, a, a much of a case for you know, and you've you've are obviously already projected out a whole bunch of players. Yeah. Is there some reason why uh, I should feel differently about Matthew Stafford than I do Rodgers, Brady, any of the other sort of elite pass only quarterbacks? No, I'm I'm actually I'm concerned why no one's think. I mean, I'm I'm fine scooping him up wherever I can get him. Like I, you know, I I think it's I'm concerned. My biggest concern for Matthew Stafford this year is really like let me be honest with you. It's like 
maybe their defense is good enough where they don't need to be passing. So I, that just doesn't seem like a good, a, a logical mm. argument. Um, my, my Matthew Stafford stat. So I was trying to find like, what's the, what's the good stat for quarterbacks in terms of like projected production. And I looked to see on these past happy quarterbacks. So it doesn't work for like a Lamar Jackson and it, it kind of doesn't work for like a Josh Allen either, but it's, these very pass happy guys, what happens after a pressure? And of course, as a Lions fan, I can tell you they were pressured quite, he was pressured quite a bit. Um, he has the highest pass rating with the past five seasons on the play after a pressure. So if he does get pressured, cause the O line huh. is a consider it's, it's, a, it's always a consideration, right? So obviously the O line could allow him to get pressured. Quarterbacks always get pressured, but Matthew Stafford can complete a pass against that. And they, he uses, they, he's been asked to pass after being pressured or sacked, which is a pressure, um, more often than other quarterbacks do. No Lions fan will be surprised by that. But at the end of the day, what that tells me is that, <laughs> what that tells me is that there's an opportunity for him to yet again succeed, especially because, you know, there is a, a, a Nick Bosa coming for him. There is a, you know, there's going to be a Chandler Jones coming for him. There, there, there are, like, this is a very difficult division, probably the most difficult division in all of football. So, you know, I, I think mm-hmm. it's going to be one where the deep pass is going to be a necessary situation for them to use. So I, I don't know why he's getting disrespected, but I'm fine because I'll scoop him up. And, it, you know, I want him to win some sort of playoff game because I've been cheering for the man for a long time now. Come on. <laughs> yeah. I like it. Yeah, that's a so that's a follow up question that I had about Stafford. One of the one of the characteristics of that offense with Jared Goff and Sean McVay was that they just you know, you'd reach the end of the season and Jared Goff's um, average intended air yards was like hilariously low a couple times, right? Like he, he would have seasons where his average intended air yards per target was like five mm-hmm. um, at the absolute bottom of the league, below Breeze, below everybody who was throwing short and throwing ex- exclusively to running backs. Matthew Stafford has one of the greatest arms in NFL history. Like whatever else you think about him as a quarterback, it like his arm is just weapons grade good. Right. Um, always has been. I know he's had some injuries uh, last couple of seasons, but I feel like he's still that guy. I feel like he still has that arm talent. Should, and this is calling for pure speculation on your part. Should we, should we expect them to use that more liberally than they than they have with uh, with Jared Goff? Are we going to see a fundamentally different passing game in terms of where the targets occur? Yes. Because you have to, you can't, that was why they got, first of all, that was why they got rid of, of, of Jared Goff because they didn't give him, I think Tyron Matthew last year said it best when he was tweeting about big plays. You can't win in this league if you don't have the opportunity to make a big play, especially in the fourth quarter. And who has more fourth quarter comebacks than Stafford, you know? And why did, how did he do it? Why did he do it? Well, because he had to use that big arm because the Lions are terrible. And by the way, I don't know if he's had a receiver <laughs> since Megatron that's been like worth it. And I, I know he's had some good ones, but like Kenny Galladay has been hurt a ton. Marvin Jones Jr. is good, but he's, he's no, you know, but so, anyway, so he's going to be in, in good shape to make those deep plays, those big plays. It might not, I think the Rams, I think they should be careful with having maybe Super Bowl hopes, but I do think if for your fantasy team, they're going to be one of those offenses that, you know, the points per game is going to go up dramatically. And it's because they're going to have big playability on every down which means that you spread the field more, give yourself more, more to, room to work with, and then you'll get all the pass catchers involved more often. So I think it, it, it just nicely fits always together. 
Man, you're also right about that division. That might be that might be the toughest division, like in sport, um, not, not just the NFL. Like off the top of my head, I can't think of a division that right? is much tougher than that. Like, wouldn't you rather be with in the nothing AFC but South? high end teams? Right, with AFC South, it's oh. like, well, okay, we'll just I mean, Texans. I think Jags beat the Texans, great. <laughs> and then, uh, unfortunately, the Colts are <laughs> pretty banged up. They do have a good defense, but they're very banged up. But if the tight, it's the Titans to lose. I mean, good lord, it's so opposite of the NFC West, where you're like, yeah, who it could that one could easily be a toss up. If somehow if the Cardinals are so boomer bust, they could throw a wrench in the entire kind of alignment of that division. Yeah, they're certainly good enough to beat anybody. Like, I don't think they're uh, among the favorites in that just buzzsaw division, but they're certainly good enough to beat anybody. And as you say, if they were in the AFC South, they're probably the prohibited favorite. <laughs> like, it's such a stacked division. Yep. Um, let's let's take another question here. This is rank wide receiver twos, and then there's a big long list. Um, uh, man, this feels uh, like ten. every uh, question. Cortland, <laughs> that's one I'm going okay. for. Yeah. I think Cortland. Yeah, Sutton's so we've good. got, got yeah. we got a whole bunch of guys that are that are drafted in the same range here too. We got Galladay, Antonio Brown, Debo Samuel, Cortland Sutton, Curtis Samuel. Um, you mentioned Curtis Samuel earlier, so tell me why the right answer is Sutton. Well, okay, I was very concerned about him coming back from that ACL injury, and then I watched Stefania Bell, who's the like her. She's such a good resource for whether or not like the injury is fixed mm-hmm. or what's going on, and if she signs off on it, your girl believes it. So Cortland Sutton is kind of that low end, <laughs> like he's a high end wide out two, maybe even potentially a wide out one. Teddy Bridgewater. Remember, I told you there were three wide receivers who ended up in the top 25 last season. And that when he was a Panther, they're going to have to pass the ball here. Remember, Vic Fangio is basically coaching for his job. He has a sick defense. But remember, this is whatever is going on in the league right now. You need to score points if you're going to win, if you're going to win and keep your job. So Vic Fangio is going to need to make sure that this offense is rolling. We saw Jerry Judy with the drops last year. I think he'll be better as well. I think he's set to improve. But part of the reason he's set to improve is because Cortland Sutton's also there. And Sutton is actually kind of, I think he's undervalued just overall. I think that we didn't know if he's how his injury has healed. So I think I'm, I'm a full believer in that. I like Curtis Samuel too. So I'd probably go Cortland, Curtis Samuel, then Debo Samuel. Those are, that would be my threes. And which is crazy because Galladay injuries, always a problem. That's messy. And Antonio Brown is really in a crowded situation. So I, I'm under about, to me, he's, I don't know if I, he's not a wide out two to me. He's probably like maybe low to high three, which is amazing to say about a talent like him, but there's just very, there's a lot of mouths to feed there. Yeah. Galladay is probably going to end up that one guy. I, I don't, you know, again, I've drafted a million leagues. I don't have a single share of Kenny Galladay yet. And when, when we're talking yeah. about a player who's been injured for this long on a new team, um, a new team that's not going to be good. I, yeah, yeah. A, a team with huge question marks on the line, the quarterback, all that. And then he hasn't practiced with him. Hasn't practiced, often injured. He already got paid. Not to sound, I mean, look, I'm not, I don't know mm-hmm. Kenny. I'm not making any sort of, uh, you know, assessment about that. But like, that's a pretty big salary. Maybe we just sit this one out till next year. <laughs> I don't know. Just saying. Yeah. I think, I also think that Cortland. Cortland Sutton just gave us the the sort of proof of concept preseason game that we all needed to see. Um, it, like he was great, looked fine. That's all I need. He's clearly not, you, you know, even if he's not 100 percent, he's clearly pretty close to like 98 or 99 percent. That was great. And you mentioned the key point on him, which is that Teddy Bridgewater has already given us a year in which he supported a whole bunch of viable fantasy receivers. So we don't have to worry about this anymore. Like I, I feel like a lot of the fantasy community is is 
having a conversation as if we need to pick one, as if it needs to either be Jerry Judy or Cortland Sutton, and it can't possibly be both. But as Matt Harmon would say, it's okay to like two receivers or more from the same team. Love and that, that is, I think that is the situation here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, it's fine if you don't want to, if you don't want to draft Teddy Bridgewater, I get that he's not going to have some totally explosive season. But again, he just gave us three entirely playable fantasy receivers in Carolina. I think he can do it again in Denver. There's a ton of talent there. Uh, let's just keep taking questions here uh, for the for the balance of the hour. This one is from, I don't know, a Twitter name that I'm not even going to try to say. It is, what is your preferred tight end strategy? And I will tell you at the top that I'm a little bit of a coward at tight end. And well, you First of all, I'm definitely a coward at tight end. <laughs> Second of all, I really benefited from Travis Kelsey last year, who gave us one of the, I, I mean, it wasn't an all-time tight end season, but relative to what anybody else did last year, it, it was the greatest positional uh, edge that you could possibly have. Um, Travis Kelsey was was monumentally better than the average rostered tight end in fantasy. He doubled up the scoring of the number six tight end. And if you can find an edge like that, that's where you got to go. It's it's why I have him, you know, I, I don't have a tight end in my first round every year, but I have Travis Kelsey solidly inside the first round fantasy wise this year. I could imagine Darren Waller putting up similar stats again. Um, we can certainly, you know, we've seen it from George Kittle. George Kittle has already been great. He's already been a player who, you know, 1300 receiving yards sort of tight end. So I want one of those three or I want Mark Andrews, especially with, you know, all the injuries to the rest of the Ravens receiving core. I'm, I'm into Mark Andrews. I'm, I'm even into TJ Hawkinson. And I don't like if I get Kyle Pitts at my at my price, I feel OK about it. But beyond those big six, I don't like messing with the, you know, and I realize we've already talked about several and we talked about Goddard. We talked about Komet. We talked about all these other guys. I don't like those guys. I like getting I like getting a top six tight end this year. I'm with you. I, I think if you don't get one. Then just, I don't want to say the word punt, but like go mm. for some value later, right? Like I, cause you, you totally nailed it. Like those first three, four guys, like they get such a disproportionately higher number of fantasy points than kind of the rest. And I told you like um, when we talked about it, it's like that slot corner position is starting to really be a valuable one. And it's, you're starting to see defenses adapt to these dual threat tight ends, but like, they're not there yet because remember it's supply and demand they don't have the bodies for it yet they don't have the people who are they don't all have like the coverage linebacker or like the slot corner that needs to be in in that situation to stop it so it's it's kind of like the the cheat code right now and remember offenses leads and then defensives adapt so they're just there's a such a there's a chasm there and we can't cross that yet so I'm I think everyone that you that you mentioned I think a lot of people are forgetting about Mark Andrews at least in terms of ADP compared to where he'll ultimately be. I think you could get a guy like the only one that I would bring up that we haven't talked about yet here that you could get a little bit later is probably like a Mike Gusecki, who is probably in in a good situation to have like he he'd be what I consider that's my punt, right? Like wait until so I think he's yeah. going like round five or six or something like that. Like you could punt and get Gusecki and just kind of keep your fingers crossed that it works out. But you know with question marks around Tua like that's always going to be a another question mark to have there but you know I, I think you could and I guess like a Noah Fant could be a good one too but these are all guys who you're punting on not guys who you're trying to actively target like those first ones and I'm very 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 bearish on Darren Waller I hate their O-line I'm I'm a big I told you I'm a big O-line person mm. and the fact that like people yeah. were leaving that O-line especially in the interior 
because they didn't want to play there anymore. Like, like that seems not good. And Alex, <laughs> Alex Leatherwood was not a number one talent when in this draft, this past draft. I hope to be wrong because I, I really liked, like as a human being, I like Derek Carr and I would like him to stay from getting crushed. But it's not that I don't think Darren Waller will be awesome. I just don't think it's going to be the same. Like, I think it's, it's going to be less awesome. It's still going to be awesome, but less, just temper a little bit. Yeah, maybe I maybe I'm showing my age here and and when I came up, but I I agree with you on the Raiders because like the league is more fun when the Raiders are good and when the Raiders right. are relevant. And I would like to be I would like to be wrong about it as well because it's just I don't know maybe it's my own nostalgia, but I really enjoy football at like at its highest when the Raiders are great. I'm with you. I, I'm I think it's more like I want a lot of these like passionate fan base teams to be really really good always yes. like because they're more it's more fun people yeah. like people come with face paint so like let's go i'm all in like scary costumes excellent i'm here for it (laughs) (laughs) speaking of passionate fan bases the the one thing that i wanted to mention is you're going to be doing some work with the with the buffalo bills this year and you were just on the sidelines for a game where i thought the bills uh the bills just showed like the fully operational death star offense that they have the potential to, (laughs) to unleash on the league this year josh allen was great like beyond great. Josh Allen was fantastic. Interesting questions around the backfield there. So just give us a couple thoughts on the Bills generally. Who beyond Allen and Diggs? Allen and Diggs are obviously supreme talents. Beyond those guys, who should we be interested in for fantasy? So Gabe Davis, let me be clear. One of the one of the reasons why I got a chance to do this preseason sideline stuff. A lot of people are like, what? Sideline? What? No, no, no. We were doing real-time analytics. So I was like coding. It was 150 degrees on the field. I look like complete poo because <laughs> I don't know how to do that part yet. Well, I don't, I, and I'm not like, I'm like, no, I wear like a jeans and t-shirt, no makeup kind of girl clearly right now. But let me tell you, that was a very hard job, but we were doing real time analytics. I have my laptop. I have hardwired in and I could see what's going on in terms of like all of the different things that I can measure real time. The pass, I don't know if you remember, but the touchdown pass Josh Allen threw to Gabe Davis in the end zone, like in that first quarter, it was on a deep pass. It was like third and 12. And he was like, oh, let's just go end zone. That was the hardest pass. And he <laughs> literally the hardest thrown pass. So the most velocity on the ball of all of preseason, Josh Allen throws the ball hard. He has three of the top five hardest thrown balls from last season. The deep pass, especially the deep pass on the run was an area of huge significance last year to the Bills offense in general and a huge uptick in terms of like how they were able to turn Josh Allen into like a guy who we didn't know if he was good or not into someone who like, if you ask like Bill's mafia, they make a very strong and reasonable case for Josh Allen to be the MVP. Like it's not out of, like it's, it's not a crazy thing that just Bill's fans. Cause I love Bill's fans. So they're, they could, it could be a little nuts in, in the best. I say that with all love, um, and, but you know, they, they have a legitimate <laughs> case for that. So the interesting part about that is that, Gabe Davis on those deep pass. Remember, he had seven touchdowns last season. That was tied for second most with Justin Jefferson. So pretty good company to keep. But he is the subject of deep passes. Mm. Now, John Brown is gone. No more John Brown. They did bring in Emmanuel Sanders, who's someone for daily fantasy purposes. You're going to be able to leverage him in your daily fantasy lineups a lot, Emmanuel Sanders, that is. But Gabe Davis, that's one who I'm taking in very late in my drafts. I'm buying in a lot of shares of him. Because they're going to have to like mix it up a bit. I mean, Stefan Diggs is going to command a lot more attention. I know he commanded a lot of attention last year, but this year even more without John Brown. So Gabe Davis, they're looking to take a big step forward. And he can handle those deep balls. And he doesn't, 
He has like no drops on those deep, on the run, adapt, cra- like crazy cat. Like I, I would break all of my fingers catching that pass. Like and Gabe's like what? <laughs> terrible, and t- terrible dance. But uh, he can work on that. He's he's just a sophomore. He can he can work on that. <laughs> uh, yeah, dance analytics haven't really come very far, have they? Uh, there's a, not not a great deal of work on that. Maybe you can no. be a pioneer in that area. Uh, <laughs> we we know you're going to do a bunch of work with the Bills uh, coming up this season. What what else is going on? Uh, anything else you'd like to plug? Anything that's on deck in the next couple weeks? So if you're a, if you're like a, if you're like a junkie of like, uh, what's so what I like, like new weird stuff, right? Like I, unlike you, I'm, I, I need to learn how to be a better journalist because of like writing, holy crap. Like you do such a good job with all of it. And your voice (laughs) is so good. I did not go to J school. I went to B school. So, um, part of the stuff I'm looking at is like trying to like sort of stay on this edge of innovation around what makes real time analytics like interesting. So you'll see, I'll tweet out a bunch of stuff. If maybe we're putting, maybe you'll see it appear in certain broadcasts, but this real time analytics, there's so many applications of it. Lots of ones you can imagine ones we have yet to imagine. I think you get the subtext of my, of what I'm saying here, but um, it's going to be really fun this season to see what we can get going, like as it's actually going. Cause you see some cool stuff like uh, like when someone gets really hot against the blitz or when teams do not adapt on defense. Like I've got everything from like configurations to who's I really want to know things about pressure that are more than just like who's what's a sack. Like, you know, is the right guard getting like smoked by the same, you know, is Fletcher Cox just like crushing the right guard over and over again and then they keep running the ball there? Like, why? Why are you doing that? Right. So looking for like little edges that you can get that could potentially add up to like bigger edges as the season carries on. Oh, that sounds so good. That's a really good tease. And that is why you should all be following her on Twitter at C Freeland. That's F-R-E-L-U-N-D. An absolutely great follow, fun follow. Thank you so much for joining us uh, this week. It's been a ton of fun. If you guys are interested in additional podcasts, and there's no reason why you wouldn't be, Charles Robinson bringing the NFL podcast back. It is now called You Pod to Win the Game. You guys are going to want to check that out. I, again, am merely at Andy Barron's on Twitter. Check us out on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. Matt Harmon going to be back at the controls with a new episode tomorrow. But for now, that is it. We are out. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.